Hey guys and welcome. This is the very first Rugby Ramble podcast powered by Huckatime Rugby and Rugby Analyst. I'm here with Rich. It's bright and early, Rich. Welcome to it's, the podcast. It's very early, Zach, but thanks for hosting. <laughs> Can't wait. No, no problems. And thank thank you. Obviously, um, this is a shared project that Rich and I have um, to bring sort of a Northern Hemisphere and a Southern Hemisphere perspective on rugby in a single podcast format. So the end goal for this is to have it distributed on a number of podcast services which will be coming, notifications on that coming in the future. And just to treat this as a regular conversation point point for key topics in rugby. So with that, obviously, massive weekend of games, Rich, which we'll cover off some of the key talking points. Um, but I just wanted to go through a couple of quick questions with you. So of the weekend's results, which of the teams impressed you the most? Well, I mean, firstly, what a fantastic weekend of rugby, wasn't it? I mean, it's just a great time to start the podcast to be honest because there's so much to talk about but I think not sucking up to you Zach as a Kiwi but you've got to say just how ruthless uh, New Zealand were when they had those chances they just mm. blew away from a really good island and at half time they were gone weren't they when it looked like Ireland were maybe onto something yeah, yeah. That, that impressed me yeah nice um, and yeah they were I mean we'll go through the stats later on when we touch on that game, but, you know, there was a lot of positives in that game for Ireland. So for the All Blacks to put on points that quickly, I think was really impressive. Um, But for me, the team that impressed the most were the Wallabies, actually. So they did have to show a bit of resilience to pull that one out in the end, obviously down 14 men for a long period of time. And um, for them to, you know, keep in the game and then ultimately take it towards the end, uh, I thought that was a great performance from them. So good to see them showing a bit of backbone now. Yeah, fair enough. Absolutely. Against 14 for a lot of it. Yeah. Really good and, for it, wasn't it? Yeah, it was. And individual performance of the weekend. Who did you, who caught your eye? Um, individual, I put down Ardi Severe. Again, it's just, it just blows me away, to be honest. Just so good. He could play, he could play, he could literally play anywhere, I think. He could easily be in the back line, couldn't he? And that yeah. try, the whole try, who gave the. Who gave the pass? I was just thinking just now. Who gave the pass to Ardi Severe, Zach? Putting you on the spot. I, I, <laughs> I, can't, I can't remember, to be honest. On the spot, some, I can't remember. <laughs> someone zipped the ball across a couple of faces. Mm. Ardi Severe faded out like an outside centre. Surprised Gary Ringrose, who's a class outside centre defender, yeah. takes him on the outside and then just bursts and steps in. It was just, that was just phenomenal. Loved it. Yeah, he does have a, a sevens background, Artie Severe, so he's definitely got the pace there sort of going back um, a few years. Um, for me, the individual performance was uh, Samu Karevi. He's, um, he's really showing what a out-and-out, ball-carrying, thumping 12 can do, just in bending the line. And you know, he's kind of established himself for me as, as the premier 12 in world rugby right now. Yeah, Great completely agree. I think he's been there for a while, to be honest. I remember doing all my YouTube videos on the on the World Cup and just saying he was he was the player of the World Cup. I thought he was yeah. phenomenal. And maybe because he's been away in Japan for a bit, we've just, just forgotten about him a bit and he's come back and just smashed everyone. Brilliant. Yeah. It is interesting that he can sort of go and do his thing in Japan and still maintain that high standard. So he's just, he's just a beast of a player. Great to see him playing well. And... Um, Coach under the most pressure. Who do you think after those weekends results is under the most pressure now? 
Well, you've got to say Eddie Jones, haven't you? I mean, yeah. he was under pressure going into it because England looked a bit of a mess in the Six Nations and they look a bit of a mess. I mean, how long How long do you say it's a... I've got a few thoughts on it, which I can tell you now if you want. We will get to it. So I reckon uh, let's cover it in more detail. Good host. You're a good host, Zach. That's it. (laughs) Hold me back. Cool. Um, And I'd have to agree with you. Um, Obviously, there has been a lot of investment in this specific playing style, which I'm keen to pick your brain on later in the the podcast, just to understand what he's actually trying to achieve. Hmm. Uh, What's stopping him from getting there? And where do you see him on that sort of pathway towards you know, realising the um, the style that he's trying to play with. So we will touch on that later in the uh, in the podcast. No. Okay. But let's move into the um, into some of the games. So we're going to touch on a few talking points from the Australia and, um, and England game. Obviously, Australia took that one in which, uh, you know, the score sort of shows a close game. But anyone who watched it, I think the game was all but one with 10 minutes to go. Um, so what I'm interested in, though, is that moment between uh, Johnny Hill and Darcy Swain, right? So mm-hmm. uh, just to recap there, there was a bit of pushing and shoving early on. I think there was a pretty forceful um, push from Johnny Hill to the head of Darcy Swain, which sort of, I think from that point on, they both had their eyes on each other. And then it was just an almighty tussle in one of the um, in one of the malls, which led to a bit of a hair-pulling incident. Yep. Um, I think there might have been a return hair-pulling incident from Darcy Swain, if you look close yeah, enough. They've both got a bit of hair going on. Yeah, they've both got a bit of hair going on. And then the final incident was obviously the other uh, headbutt or the head press, you might refer it to. It wasn't a full headbutt. Um, but anyway, the outcome of that obviously was um, Darcy Swain sent off for a red card, Johnny Hill sent off for a yellow card. In my view, both probably outcomes fair enough in terms of what went down. Um, but I'm more interested in your thoughts on baiting. Right, because it was a clear tactic that Johnny Hill went in there to be physical. Um, he probably was right on that borderline of crossing the line versus, you know, being physical. Obviously, he got a rise out of the younger, sort of probably a little bit less experienced Darcy Swain. Do you think there's a place in the game for baiting huh. like that? Simple answer, yes. Yes, I think, you know, politically correct, you could say, oh, no, it's it's there's no part in the game for it, but... Being able to get under a, an opposition's skin, however you do it, is is an art, to be honest. And mm. now I, I'll say it out now: I don't like the way Hill went about it. It, it didn't seem right. I don't like the push in the face. Don't think that's good. Um, on, I don't like pulling hair either. I think that's a bit pathetic. <laughs> um, but if we're taking the Hill part out of it, I think I think basically yes. <laughs> if you can wind up your opposition so they're put off the game. If you can, you know, get an edge by you know hitting them hard in the ruck or whatever it is, or just holding them on the ruck for a little on the ground for a little bit longer, um, which we saw Scott Barrett do very effectively. (laughs) But I I think I think Hill was in the team to get under people's skin physically, and I don't think he did it did it well, as in, but that was his idea. And I think Scott Barrett was there to do it. And he um well, he actually could have got in trouble for, I think, a clear out on Peter Amani. Yeah, he might get still up. get in trouble for that, actually. Yep. He's, been cited, he's been cited with that one. Yeah. So, that, again, this highlights the danger of, you know, trying to rile people up. Hmm. But also he did a very clever clear out on um, 
Josh Van, Josh Van der Fleer, when he was kind of going back, he wasn't really in the ruck, but he kind of grabbed him on his way through, mm. took him to ground and then held him there for a bit on the play that uh, Smith broke through the middle. Yep. And again, it's the same sort of thing and players do it all the time. So I, I'm fine with it. But if you get it wrong, be it on your own head, you know, that's the risk. Yeah, exactly. That's the risk you run. Yeah, no, I agree. It was interesting because um, uh, I listened to the Australian commentary on the game and you had Justin Harrison, you know, who played at the great Brumbies teams in Super Rugby when they were at their peak, played in teams with George Gregg and the Wallabies under Eddie Jones at that time. Two and he said, merchants right there. Yeah, exactly. He said, I know exactly what he was sent in to do because that was my job. Yep. Right. So it's it's a bit of a throwback to sort of I think the, the way he went about it, just sort of how that played that incident played out. It's a bit of a throwback to some of those older Wallabies, sort of Eddie Jones coach teams. They had no trouble sledging and trying to get in under under the skin of opposition. So to me, I agree with you completely. Complete it's fair play. Right. Yeah. But you run the risk, right? You get it yeah, wrong absolutely. and you put your team under pressure, then that's on you. Mm, for sure. Cool. We both agree on that one. That's a good start to the podcast. Yeah. Well, we'll disagree on something. Don't worry. <laughs> yeah, I'm sure we will. Uh, moving on to the next one. So, you know, another key point in the game. So Australia had to deal with a significant amount of pressure, um, you know, just with personnel availability, people dropping down, red cards, as we mentioned with with Darcy Swain. So Quade Cooper, um, pre-match, obviously succumbed to a, to an injury in the warm-up. So Noah Lulosia, Sior had to come in. Tom Banks, Suspected broken arm, or maybe that's yeah, been confirmed as a as a broken for arm. Yeah, that was Ugh. crazy. And then Darcy Swain, red card. So, but what it does highlight is some of the resilience, as I mentioned earlier, of the of the Wallabies. So, are they starting to turn a corner a little bit under Dave Rennie? Do you think that's a sign that you know culture and things are moving in the right direction? Well, I guess it depends how you want the Wallabies to play. If you're a Wallabies fan, but they've certainly um, improved as a team. Dave Rennie's got a very clear direction. You know, he's. I remember when England toured Australia last time in 2016 under Checker. Um, tactically, Australia was so naive. They, they threw the ball around from side to side on game one. Mm. England won through their defence. They did the same in game two. England won again. And they did the same in game three. And mm. they literally had no idea. But now they know what they're doing. Is it... Australian enough for an Australian? Well, I don't know. You have to. You'll have to ask the Australian fans. But it's effective. The attack was really simple, mm. and I think again when we talk about England's attack, um, it kind of you know, contrasts a lot. They went very direct, but what they did do is they offloaded, yeah. and they got in behind, and you know, and it was simple, but it worked. So, yeah, they've definitely turned a corner. I I don't know if it's quite you know not complicated enough it hasn't got quite enough clever parts to it yet yeah. but they've got time yep yep just a few results which probably highlight obviously that they are building now they had the series against france in australia last year and that was we probably have to acknowledge that was a france b team that was sent down under um but they did get the result 2-1 there against the Do french it, in that I series mean, just, i mean <laughs> Let's be honest here, Zach. The, the French blew that so terribly with some absolute yeah. awful calls. But yeah, they did win it. They did win it. Yeah. But it was a French B team, 
And I yeah. think, but, so I'll put a caveat on that one, but yes. Yeah, we'll put an asterisk for now. But yeah, if yeah. we put a few of these asterisks-like performances, yeah, <laughs> it actually starts to show a trend. True. So um, rugby championship, um, two wins against Springboks. So you might put another asterisk over that one, but um, but yeah. two positive wins, two results, and ended up finishing second in the rugby championship. Last year, losses to Scotland, Wales, and England, though, in the Autumn Internationals. So maybe not a full-fledged um, trend presenting itself here, but definitely steps in the right direction. Oh, for sure. Yeah, no, you, you've got from where they were, you've got to be happy, really. Yeah. Okay, moving on. And you touched on England's attack. I'm going to hand this over to you completely because I want to know what is Eddie Jones trying to achieve with this new playing style that he's uh, constructing? Um, let's start with that, and then I'll throw some questions out at, out at you based on the outcome of that. Okay, it's a fascinating topic, isn't it? And I've got a, a video coming out later this week. I'll go into it into more detail, but basically it's a very... What he's trying to do is he's not reinvent the wheel as such. He's trying to make something different to the wheel. You know, He's trying to make something you know, that hasn't been seen before. Um, and it's interesting to watch. I was doing the live stream. I saw you very kindly popping in on the live stream there, Zach. Thank you very much. And I was kind of just going through some of the things they were doing. And it's the idea is to be very unpredictable. Um, they were bringing in both their wingers off their wings into midfield, which is fascinating, popping it in around the ruck. They were trying to get Stewart free out wide for crossfield kicks. They were, you know, changing it up. So sometimes it's Farrell flat and Smith deep, and sometimes it's Smith attacking a blind. Okay. Um, all sorts of different people passing, <laughs> rucking. So it's it looks chaotic, but obviously it's got a design to it. Mm. But my point is, you know, what is the point unless you're <laughs> unless you're ticking the boxes of a good attack, which is mm threatening the gain line, good decoy runners, offloads in behind, continuity, pace, power, stepping. Yeah. It doesn't matter how complicated and amazing it is on paper. Mm -hmm. You know, you might as well just attack like Australia did um, yeah. and go direct with a couple of offloads and some individual brilliance. So, you know, I understand what they're trying to do, but I just think it's a little bit, naive in a way to think you can achieve that when you don't really have the individual ability to achieve it i was gonna just ask that question actually if it is a style which is built on variation let's say um complex variation in many yep. different areas obviously it's fully dependent on the personnel being able to achieve that and having the right skill sets so do the selections support that style of play firstly well, the simple answer is no. Um, okay. I mean, just so one thing I didn't mention on the actual style is because it hasn't been done before. We don't even know it works. There's no proof. <laughs> there's no proof to say this works. So it's very bold. Okay. But I mean, we fielded and we did have done a few times recently, probably the slowest back line in, well, this weekend easily. Mm -hmm. No it's probably the slowest backline in tier one rugby. And especially when you're pulling behind to Marcus Smith, who wants to create something, if he's got two slowish wingers and a slowish fullback, it's like, mm. what's exactly he meant to do? Yeah. So I'd, I'd much prefer to see it a little bit simplified. I'd prefer Smith or Farrell at 10 attacking the line 
with mm -hmm. some running threat at 12 and then maybe be a little bit clever off that, you know. Um, so I'm not seeing it at the moment, to be honest. Okay. Okay. Um, is it, I mean, you did touch on this, that there's not a lot of time between now and the World Cup to uh, actually get this thing working. So it looks like this is probably, I mean, we know Eddie Jones is sort of a stubborn guy and we'll, you know, back it to the end. Yeah. It's sort of all or nothing, I guess, in terms of it either it either pays huge returns or it um, it goes down in a flaming mess. Well, it, I mean, he can get better, of course, and he can change his selections, which will probably help. So I think that's the most obvious thing that's going to happen is it will change his selections to try and make it work. Yeah. Or you get a situation like... Um, England in 2007 World Cup, where the players get together, probably led by Courtney Laws, who he doesn't give a monkey, he'll say anything to anyone, and them say, look, Eddie, I don't think we're going to win like this. We need to change. We need to simplify. So one of those two, um, my suggestion is he will change his selections and field quicker players and hopefully find someone with a bit of power in midfield and then hopefully it'll improve. Yes, hopefully. Um, I will say seven minutes of Henry Arundel <laughs> was enough for me to go and investigate our premiership highlights. And I uh, think, I think you might like be a good saw, yeah? player that, yeah, very much so. <laughs> yeah. I think um, I was very impressed just by what pure pace, balance. Um, I don't, don't know about his top end speed, but acceleration off the mark, incredible. So it'll be interesting to see if he gets well. I want to see more minutes is the simple thing that I'm trying to say here from him. Yeah. I mean, I've had plenty of comments in my videos saying it's, it's so early for him, etc. Don't rush him in. But I think the fact is England need him. They, yes. they, they don't have anyone like him. Yeah, they need a spark um, for sure. Yeah. And there's the, the easiest example of someone who can provide a spark sitting on your yeah. bench. They just proved it in seven minutes at the end of the game. Well, yeah, and, and the try he scored, it wasn't like he was worked into space. He was worked yep. into two-on-one, as in he was one and they were two. <laughs> and he went through the middle of them, and then he went in and out on Karevi to score. It was, like, yep. absolutely phenomenal. Yep, yep. It was like watching um, Artie Sevier at 1.25 playback speed. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> For that try. <laughs> yeah. Artie Sevier at 12, could he? Yeah, he'd be good, not he? Oh, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> Cool. Okay. Um, anything else you want to touch on in the Australia England match? No, I want to. I want to put that one in in the back of my mind and pretend it never happened. <laughs> cool. Moving on. All Blacks versus Ireland. So we did touch on this earlier. All Blacks obviously get the victory in this one. Um, Scoreline overall, I thought flattered the All Blacks, which has been quite an unpopular opinion on, online. If I'm honest with you, <laughs> Rich, um, okay. I, I released a video just with my thoughts. Um, what I noticed in the November game and just in general with Ireland, they're extremely well drilled. Obviously having continuity of team from Leinster through to um, the international team, that's paying dividends. The problem now being they're actually reliant on key players there, like a Johnny Sexton who was aging. Um, so Carberry got some minutes. That was great to see, but they did seem to sort of lose a little bit of cohesion with him there, I thought, um, although they did build back into the game. Um, on the other side, a wounded All Blacks um, lost the last two matches before this one, sold out Eden Park, um, identifying physicality as lacking earlier, so wanting to improve in that area. Came out with intent, I thought, and were able to, um, you know, a key period before halftime, scoring three tries, you know, in quick succession to essentially blow the game away. 
it just felt at that point, okay, well, the All Blacks have definitely made some improvements, but I didn't see Ireland were that far off. I mean, there were three or four tries that were held up in the second second half. Now, you can look at that as good defence, probably give a tick there, but it's a game of inches, right? They can very easily go the other way, and then it becomes a competitive finish in that game. So there's enough there to suggest that Ireland obviously will be competitive the remaining of the series. Um, but the All Blacks did show improvements. What were some of your initial thoughts on that game or anything else you want to add to that? Yeah, it's a hard one to draw too much into both sides because it was just such a great game in a way because, mm. you know, these were two quality sides going at it. Ireland, on that performance, probably would have beaten all the other sides apart from the All Blacks, I think. Well, maybe, yeah. I don't know, maybe that's a bit of a statement, but they played a lot of really good stuff and they... I mean, the All Blacks were trying to target the ruck and they did make it a mess at times, but Ireland still got lots of quick go-forward ball. Yeah. Um, and in the past, when you stop Ireland, you stop their ruck speed, but the All Blacks didn't. But they defended amazingly. Mm. Um, two tries nearly scored, like you say. Um, but then Ireland coughed up a couple of bad errors. I think it was uh, Ring Rose and Lowe. Mucks really panicked on a pass and then Reese went the length. And then Gibson Park decided to run out of defence instead of just clear the ball. And then that ended up in a try. So they'll be so gutted because they think, oh, we could have been close in this game. Yeah. But we know if you give the All Blacks chances, they're just absolutely lethal. And and it's all about scoring points, isn't it? So yeah. I think the All Blacks will be a little bit concerned about the amount of good attack Ireland had and... You know the chances they had, but at the end of the day, they they took their chances fantastically well. When it's a it's a big scoreline, so yep. I'd say that's just that's just rugby between two quality sides, and uh, I'd be pretty delighted if I was New Zealand, to be honest. Yep. And uh, well, yeah, yeah. The possession and territory stats were interesting. So um, Ireland dominated both sixty percent possession, sixty percent territory. Um, the attacking stats were reasonably close, so. Defenders beat in 16 Ireland, 14 New Zealand. Offloads favour Ireland. Obviously, they had the greater of the possession, so you probably expect that. Um, it, it seemed to me that, yeah, as you say, Ireland are dependent on fast ruck speed. So when they got it, they just didn't convert as many points as, as the All Blacks did because when the All Blacks actually got good ruck speed, and I thought the Severish tribe was actually built on disruption at the breakdown, pressure in defence, created the mistake, runaway try right so I sort of went, yeah different things online that um that maybe that was a soft try i actually think it was built on that sort of good work they were definitely definitely made anic um they definitely made island panic there and and get all yep. disorganized that's for that's for sure yeah um and the set piece battle was the other one that i was keeping a close lot you know eye on so the line out's probably the pick of the stats here so um ireland had the official stats are 14 of 17, but I watched the interview with Paul O'Connell and he said there were two there were two lineouts that they've identified where Ireland won the ball, but because it was scrappy, the All Blacks actually got the ball back after it was won. So they yeah. count them as losses, right? Okay. So if you look at that, it's actually in the 60% of line, 60 percentage of lineout success for Ireland, which you know, not great by their high standards, but also maybe a nod to the great work that Scott Barrett did in at six, a lot made about his selection. I actually think he improved both scrum and lineup, which the stats mm -hmm. back up that uh, New Zealand positively 
you know, came out on the, the better side of that, as well as high work rate. So he made 20-odd tackles. And um, as you sort of touched on and alluded to, dirty in the breakdown or enough just to sort of disrupt that sort of flow that Ireland is used to having. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you've got three second rows there, so your line-out's always going to improve and you can have some grunt in the scrum. So, I mean, with these selections, I always think just as an aside, Zach, it's always fascinating. You never know what would have happened with a different selection. So even though this works, a different selection could have been even better. (laughs) That's the thing. You just don't know. But, yeah, he, he he did his job. Yeah. We only know when it goes bad <laughs> it. and it gets highlighted and talked about and replayed and, you know, analysts cover it for days. But when it goes well, you're right. You don't know if it could have gone better in this case. And I don't give, um, I don't give Ian Foster enough credit for some of the things he does. Well, I think he probably got that one right, particularly as Akira Ioane, uh, unfortunately needed another week to recover. So I think he yeah. would have been the first choice. But at least now it's clear that Scott Barrett can cover in what is, you know, top level rugby against a great team under under pressure. True, but but then if he'd got a red card for his clear out on Amani, then we'd all be saying something completely different. Well, this is the margins of error, right? We said it's a game of inches when you're playing that kind of role. You know, it's hero or zero, unfortunately. Yep. Um, for that type of player. All right. Um, does this change your prediction for the series? Now, I predicted the series mm. 2-1 to the All Blacks. Dominant win. Going into the next game, it's going to be interesting. As I mentioned earlier, there's enough red flags to suggest that Ireland could take advantage, but I'm starting to see the confidence levels change in the All Blacks. Um, so I think that might be enough for them to get home and potentially get home 3-0. Yeah, I mean, I remember when we talked about it before, I was saying I think it's this first game that Ireland could win. Yeah. And I think I was, well, shown to be correct, obviously, but you know, they had a good chance. And at times they played so well and they, they've come out on a big beating. So I think it's, mm. it's going to take a lot psychologically to come back from this. So I think yeah. 3-0 is now the more likely outcome, yeah. Yeah. What I will say in Ireland's favour is Keith Earls backed up from the Māori game, so he played hmm. 160 minutes in a few days. The yeah, bench were cool. all on call for the Māori game as well, so they will be better for the week's rest, for sure. True, yeah, fair point. All right, but I'm still predicting 3-0 now. I've changed my prediction from 2-1 okay. to 3-0. <laughs> yeah, I think it's more likely. I think it's more likely now. Yeah. All right, um, South Africa versus Wales, so a nail-biter at the end. Slow start from South Africa. Um, roaring comeback, a bit of controversy at the end, depending on which way you look at it, and um, a big moment from Willemse to slot the, the winning penalty. Uh, just generally, in terms of your thoughts, what, what did you think of the game? Oh, goodness me. I'm, I'm glad I'm not a Welsh or South African fan with a dodgy heart, because that must have been absolutely excruciating to watch. As a neutral, it was just exciting, but yeah. crikey, that was tense. I mean, it was weird. Uh, the first half South Africa couldn't have been much worse. Honestly, it was, Mm. they were awful. They were dropping balls everywhere. Their attack was one dimensional, might be, you know, a bit too much of a compliment. Um, It was just not, it was just awful. And Wales had come out and executed really cleverly. They hadn't tried anything special either, but their selection of Hardy, which I wondered about, proved on the money because his kicking was so good. Mm. And they barely made a mistake. Um, capitalised on some mistakes and um, and they were, what, 
through was it 318 up at half time something like yeah. that yeah. and it, it was like the best result you could have at half time for wales and then south africa finally started to play possibly due to elton yanti's getting hauled off at half time uh are yeah. going in but they started to play they went to their power game as well and wales unfortunately just melted away a bit you know they know what a chance that was. What a chance it was! Oh, you don't you don't get crazy. many that close in South Africa. So huge opportunity for them missed. Um, I just sort of left that game thinking: Are the Springboks who's more dependent on their half, the Springboks or Ireland? Right, Sexton versus um, uh, Andre Pollard. They just they just they both seem like teams that are used to playing a specific style with a specific group of players that when they start to step outside of that, they run into continuity problems. Um, now, Nina Barr is saying all the positive things about Yanchis that, you know, it's an off game, he'll be back, you know, we'll persevere, but there is a mm. noticeable difference there with Andre Pollard out of the lineup. Well, it just seems strange. I, when I always do videos on Springbok games where Yanchis has played, so many times I've, I've actually commented, I'm not sure this guy is good enough for, mm. the, for the Springboks. Um, and because South Africa contributes so many players worldwide, surely there's another 10 who could fit that role who's possibly a bit better. I don't know. South African mm. fans would have to tell me, but it just seems strange they keep going back to him when so many times when he plays, the question mark is, is always there. It's, I don't know. Yeah. Well, it's going to be interesting to see what they do in the next couple of games, obviously. Um but that was a pretty clear indication that, you know, maybe gets another chance and maybe impresses. Well, but well, is, is Pollard back? Was he? I thought he was out just because of the French final, top 14 final. Is yeah, he available? Possibly. I'm not too sure. Um, if he is available, obviously he steps straight in. But it's that same challenge of what if your top line half goes down? Do you start investing now to build depth or do you mm. just hope for the best that you can sort of carry your team through to the World Cup? Um, well, saying that, their, their top line nine was starting, um, Faf de Klerk, and he had, um, by his stand, it's a bit of a shocker, to be honest. Yeah, yeah, true. Um, last question on this game. The Dan Bigger moment at the end, knocking down the ball. If that's a World Cup final, are you comfortable with that penalty to decide a game? Yeah, I, I, to be honest, I don't see that as a, as a controversy. He, he didn't go for the interception. He just flapped his hand and knocked it forward and... So it's a deliberate knock-on penalty, whatever. And these days, that's that seems to be a yellow card. So, yeah, yeah, I, I don't think that's a problem. Yeah, it was interesting because when I saw comments online, and maybe that's the issue, I should stop reading comments online. <laughs> is um, there was a lot of people upset with that one? Um, okay. I thought it was pretty clear cut though, and you know, it sort of makes me think big decisions in a game. Really, the measurement for me is: Are you comfortable with that decide deciding a rugby world cup? And to me, in that instance, the answer is yes. So. Yeah, no, honestly, until you mentioned it, I hadn't even thought it was a controversy. Okay, well, I'll stop reading comments online. Okay. Maybe, that's the, maybe that's the way to go. Maybe. Cool. Um, another exciting week coming up of rugby this weekend. So, I mean, that's pretty much everything that I wanted to cover. And obviously, you know, the topics that we had indicated we would cover as part of the first podcast. Um, I guess we'd love to hear some feedback from everyone. Are there any specific topics you want us to cover as we evolve this podcast, we're going to try and bring it quite regularly. So every two weeks at this stage, we'll see if we can um, increase the frequency later. 
Um, but right now, that's what we're committing to. Uh, but we'd love to hear feedback from everyone. Is there more that you want to see to, uh, from us? Any specific topics you want us to cover? Um, any special guests that we, we may want to consider? So, Rich, any final thoughts before we close down the first podcast of the Rugby Ramble? Uh, well, thanks for sorting out, Zach. Thanks for hosting. Uh, yeah, it's great to chat about the weekend. It's just such an exciting weekend of rugby. And what's great is we've got two more of these to come. Yeah, It's fantastic stuff. We're spoiled. We are. Love this time of year. With that, we'll call it. Thanks again, Rich.